So if you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Acts 2 this morning. Um, and we're going to look at the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. I'm excited this morning when um, James was praying this morning, um, just even kicking us off and saying, this is not a normal morning. Um, I'm excited. I don't want it to be a normal morning. Um, I feel like it's a, it's a good morning. Hold on. There we go. We're set. Why don't we pray and then we'll, um, we'll look at this together. Father, thank you um, that you love us so much. Thank you for family, for friendship. Thank you for... Um, your amazing grace in our lives we say we're grateful um and we pray you just come open up your word to us come and change us forever in jesus name amen so acts 2 verse 1 we read this to you when the day of pentecost came they were all together they being the disciples in one place suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Let's try this verse. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Basically lots of different people. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So set the context. This is the disciples gathering together. Um, Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's met with the disciples. He's ascended into heaven and he'd told them to wait in Jerusalem, to wait together. So they're in there gathering together in one place and there's this dramatic entrance of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, this is a super significant moment in Peter's life. Um, You know, this sudden encounter of the reality of heaven physically in that place where they were. And there were immediate amazing results. The fact that, you know, the disciples were speaking and all those multiple different people with multiple different languages all heard and understood in their own language. You know, crazy, confusing, puzzling stuff. Um, So there was amazing immediate results. But at this point, you know, marked and changed Peter forever. From this point onwards, you know, Peter was never the same again. Um, but, it, but it wasn't just for Peter. You know, this, this day, this moment was a critical day in history for us. Critical day in history. It marked the fulfillment of something long promised by God. Um, you know, the fulfillment of, and this almost like a transition into a totally new era, a totally new way that God was going to be with people. And so I want us to kind of grasp the real significance of, of that day. Um, and I think to do that, it's helpful for us to go backwards first. Um, and really briefly, I want us to look at um, a little bit in the Old Testament. So under the Old Covenant, um, at the Holy Spirit. Now, a few years ago, we did a whole, I think, three-month series on the Holy Spirit, so I'm, I'm going to try and cover a lot quickly, so bear with me. But I just want to be really clear. Like, Pentecost, like this date, that was not like the first time the Holy Spirit showed up. Like, it wasn't, that wasn't like his grand entrance and he'd been sort of on the wings. For it. Like, that's not it. You know, the Holy Spirit is part of the eternal 
triune God, God in three persons, you know, God who's always been present. You know, even you look right back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, you know, before God created the world, it says that the Holy Spirit was there, present, brooding over the waters. So this, like this, this isn't like Holy Spirit entrance. He's, he's always been there and always been active. Um, and in the Old Testament... There's lots and lots of references. You know, the Holy Spirit is talked about a lot, um, principally in two ways. Um, firstly, in manifesting, making God's presence real. Wayne Gruden, who's a theologian, has this really helpful way of saying that the main role of the Holy Spirit is to manifest, which means to make real the presence of God. That's what we do, and, and we see that in the Old Testament, principally in the Old Testament, um, is that it's was either in the tent of meeting, so where Moses, the tent he built in the desert, or, or later there's, there's times in Solomon's temple where the presence of God, you know, the Holy Spirit comes in such a dramatic way that it's made real for everyone. The second time that, um, and I'm, this is broadly kind of grouping things in two, the, the second way that um, the Holy Spirit is kind of is talked about and seen in the Old Testament is, is empowering specific people for specific tasks. Um, and really vast and varied you know, if you want, you can scribble these references down and have a look at them. But Joshua talks about the Holy Spirit um, empowering Joshua with leadership and wisdom. That's in Deuteronomy 34.9. Gideon was given courage to lead the Israelites to defeat the enemies. That's in Judges 6. Again, Saul was given courage in battle and strategy. 1 Samuel 11, verse 6. When David was anointed king, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon him for that role. 1 Samuel 16, 13. There's two guys called Bezalel and Oliab, um, who in Exodus 31 is really interesting. It says the Holy Spirit came upon them specifically for creative and artistic skills, which I love. And then obviously, you know, some of the Old Testament prophets, you know, who spoke the word of the Lord. So Ezekiel in chapter 2, Micah chapter 3. It was the Holy Spirit coming to enable them to do that. So the Holy Spirit has always been present, always been active, principally in the Old Testament in manifesting God's presence um, and also enabling specific people at specific times to do specific tasks. Does that make sense? Um, And even in terms of that making God's presence real, it it was more in specific places. So in the tent, I mean, in the um, tabernacle, in the temple of of Solomon. But there was always the promise of something more, which is where I want us to step forward. In Ezekiel 36... It says this, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So there was always the promise that, hey, there's, there's going to be more. There's going to be a new way. And there's a passage in Joel, one of the Old Testament prophets, um, specifically prophesying about Pentecost. And Peter has this supernatural revelation. And we're going to move on now in Acts 2 when he's talking to the crowd. Um, and he quotes from Joel, which again is an Old Testament promise of there's going to be something new. So let's carry on in um, Acts chapter 2, um, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with 11. So they've all been speaking in Different languages, the crowd are like, what on earth's going on? Peter stands up. Peter the denier from a couple of weeks back stands up, addresses this crowd, and, and he stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and, aggre- and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, 
This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. So essentially what Peter is saying is this stuff that you know, you've read about you know, through the Jews who'd kind of in, raised with this understanding of this promise of a Messiah, promise of a new way of God dwelling with his people, this future potential promise. Peter is saying it starts now. This is that. Everything that we've read about, hoped for, dreamed for, been, like, this is that. This is that moment. This is the new heart, the new spirit that God was putting in his people. Um, and the thing that I, I love so much about it is the radical difference was from the Holy Spirit on certain people, certain times, certain tasks, to the promise of, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. And when you read in the beginning of Acts 2, when they were all gathered in that room, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It is an all moment. You know, We're looking at it through Peter, but this is an all moment. Um, and it, it is an absolutely pivotal moment in history. Yes, in Peter's life and the early disciples' life. Um, I'm sure, you know, that... That moment in that room, that encounter, that like just radically met by God and forever changed by being filled with and anointed with his Holy Spirit. Um, and, and if you look, there was this you know, very immediate practical outworking in terms of this you know, supernatural occurrence with these languages. Um, but even before that, I almost think the most, the most dramatic outworking is the change in Peter. You know, Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus, you know, a couple of weeks ago. He's ama- and Peter, who, you know, always gets his feet. Peter, who got things so muddled before, you know, so when Jesus, in the Gospels, when Jesus started talking about it, he was going to have to suffer and die. And Peter's in there going, no, no, you know, over my dead body, kind of like totally misunderstood, didn't understand it. All of a sudden, he has this download from heaven in terms of understanding Here's all of the old covenant and the promises. Here's the fulfillment and understanding the prophetic scriptures. Peter was just a fisherman. Like for him to have that level of you know understanding and and wisdom and the courage to stand and speak to those people is profound. Like I think that is stunning. Um, and there was immediate fruit in verse um, 41 at the end of chapter 2. It says, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized and 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people believed the message of Jesus in a day. Um, you know, the, the difference that the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit makes, you know, bringing life, bringing growth is, is just stunning. And guys, we need to be absolutely clear um, and know that those days are still these days. We still live in those days. Like nothing has changed. We still live in those last days that Joel prophesied about. And what started on Pentecost should never stop, should only increase, should only go forward. You know, we still live in those days. That kind of radical encounter and filling of the Holy Spirit was not just for those disciples in that room. Um, it, and if you look throughout Acts, if you look through the history of the early church, look, you know, read through the book of Acts, time and time again, you know, the same disciples were filled again. You know, it totally wasn't a one-time deal. Um, you know, when Paul says, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit, that word he uses, filled, is be filled and go on being filled. 
Like it wasn't just for Pentecost, even for Peter. Because you'd think, you know, an encounter like that, I, I, that would set me for life. I'd be good. I'd be, I got this. You know, but there's times when the, those same disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit again. You know, and other groups of new believers, some of them we hadn't even figured out all of the gospel yet were filled with the Holy Spirit. Other times it's, you know, they understood the gospel and they were saved and then the Holy Spirit came. And listen, theologians have argued for years over, you know, what comes first, which way around. The bottom line is this, you need to believe in the name of Jesus and you need to be filled and filled and filled again with the Holy Spirit. We all do. And that hasn't changed. It wasn't just for them. It absolutely is for now. But the presence of the Holy Spirit absolutely was, was essential for the early church and the things that they did. You know, everything, all the amazing stuff we read about in Acts was only possible through the power work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit with them. There's a guy called Gordon Fee who's written a brilliant book called Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God, which is brilliant. It's got the worst front cover in the world. It looks like the most boring book, but it's brilliant. Um, if you want to understand about the person of the Holy Spirit and the, his work through the whole of our salvation in Christian life, it's brilliant, really, really excellent. But he says this. He's talking about the early church, um, so Peter and his friends in those early days. He says this. Their success also lay with their experienced life of the Spirit who made the work of Christ an effective reality in their lives, thus making them a radical alternative within their culture. I don't know, when I read that, I'm like, Holy Spirit, would you mark us the same way? Because that so needs to be us. We are not, we are just not a radical alternative unless... The Holy Spirit makes the work of Christ real to us and empowers us to live in it. Like that's so what we need. And that, so nothing has changed. You know, now more than ever maybe, you know, the church, us as individuals, like we need the Holy Spirit. We need that experienced reality. You know, theory and ideas and good theology is not going to get us there. We need to have good understanding. We need to know the Bible. You know, you know I love theology. I love for us to understand. Um, but we need it to be made real to us by the Holy Spirit. And our success, if you don't like the word success, fruitfulness, that's a bit more scriptural, but success is entirely kingdom. So you might just need to get over yourself on that one. But the success of the early church was based on the Holy Spirit with them. It's the same for us. Our success, our fruitfulness is absolutely dependent on an experienced life in the Holy Spirit. It just is. It's true for us. Um, And if it isn't true for us, then I want to encourage us. Look, it should be and it can be. Like it isn't just for some. It's absolutely for all. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit has not changed. You know, and if, if his presence could enable a small group of, for the most part, uneducated first century Jews to see their world utterly changed and the whole world utterly changed, there's no reason he can't and won't do the same in us and through us. It's just the same Holy Spirit. It's just the same promise. But we need him. We absolutely need him to see Manchester change. We need the Holy Spirit. You know, but, but more than that, um, it, it's got to be real. Here's another quote from this same book from Gordon Fee. He's looking at Paul's teaching on the Holy Spirit. He says, one reads Paul poorly who does not recognize that for him, the presence of the Spirit as an experienced and living reality was the crucial matter 
for the Christian life from beginning to end. I like that. The presence of the Spirit as an experienced and living reality, not as a theological nod, but an experienced and living reality, it was the crucial matter. Not an optional add-on if you fancy it. Like, you know, when you book your flight, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want the Holy Spirit? It's not an optional add-on. It's absolutely, he is crucial. Um, and it must, you know, guys, it must be, and I know we talk about this a lot, but, and this is because this is my heart, you know, I'm like, God, I, I so don't want, I'm so tired of a, a dry, you know, committed, devoted, theologically accurate Christian life. Like, I want life. I want the Holy Spirit. And I don't want, I don't even want to settle for some, you know, stereotypical, charismatic, I want the real deal, not what it has looked like. I want it real for me and for you. I want that. A living reality from beginning to end. So from the gospel being preached, the gospel being, you know, us being that revelation of this is true, this is real. You know, the whole way through our Christian lives, it's the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. It was key then for Peter and the early church, and he's key now for you and I. And I want to look at um, three things you know, the Holy Spirit does um, that I want us to kind of really believe for and be hungry for. Um, three things that the, the Holy Spirit does. In that is he marks us, he transforms us, he empowers us. So I want to look at those three things. First thing is this, marked. Ephesians 1, verse 13, says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So the moment that you believed in Jesus, you were marked with a seal, that promised Holy Spirit. Other translations, the New Living Translation, um, says that he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. That's a beautiful picture. It's like that stamp was on you. The moment, every single one of you, whether you felt anything or not, you were, at the moment you believed in the good news of Jesus, you were marked as his, as belonging to him, marked with a seal. And we could spend all morning looking at this verse, but, you know, but biblically, if you look, you know, the idea of a seal, and in that kind of context, it'd be the whole wax stamp, that seal, yeah, it's that sort of thing, not animal in the north it's not that it's a seal stamp thing yes i know i know you know that it's that kind of a thing and it kind of represents four things uh, and you know some reason stuff i could pull a verse out for all of them but just trust me this is absolutely biblically this is what the seal is all about because it's important when we read that you were marked within him with a seal the holy spirit what does that mean what is that it's four things it's about security it's about authenticity you really are saved. You really are forgiven. You really are his son and his daughter. It's about ownership. It's about belonging to God. And it's about authority. When someone was given something marked with a seal, that was the authority of the person who did the marking went with that. So us being marked with the Holy Spirit is profoundly important and empowering. We are secure. We're safe. It gives us an element of protection belonging to him. I love that when um, in Romans 8, where Paul says, who dares accuse those that God has chosen for his own? You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Who dares accuse you? There's such security in that. Authenticity, ownership, and authority. 
And the Holy Spirit's, you know, absolutely desires to make those things real to us. And listen, it's all of us. So it says, you know, the, the moment you believed, you were marked with that seal, the Holy Spirit. It's not just for some. You know, Paul says, it's again in Romans 8, says, look, you can't be a Christian at all. You can't say Jesus is the Lord unless the Holy Spirit is living in you. Now, there's always more, and I want for you to be hungry for more, and I want for us to press in to be filled and anointed in a greater way. I want that, but every single one of you, if you have you know, believed in Jesus and given your life to him, the Holy Spirit is living in you. Because I think some people, you can think, well, yeah, no, you can't be a Christian at all unless the Holy Spirit is in you. So every single one of us is marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it's almost like that was... That was what was happening in that room at Pentecost. It's suddenly, because Peter, you know, if you think about the Peter that we look at, and I know we've done a really quick version, you know, very edited highlights of Peter's life. But if you read through the Gospels, like there's no way that guy we saw in the Gospels could do this on the day of Pentecost. Like it, it's just like, it's not the same guy, but the fact he was marked with this Holy Spirit and suddenly there was this authority, this security that came with the Holy Spirit in him. So that's the first thing. The Holy Spirit marks us as belonging to God for now and for always. Second thing is that he transforms us. You know, there's the, there's the immediate transformation when we're saved that he takes us from death to life, yeah, from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Sudden transformation when we're saved. Titus 3, 4, 7 says this, um, so this is verse 5 and 6. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So the Holy Spirit is there as we are washed and made new, transformed. Each one of us transformed into new creations when we're saved. You know, we become actually new creations. We become different people. Um, but I think, you know, but it has a, a practical outwork. And if you look at Peter, he's a, just such a stellar example of a transformed life through the power of the cross and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He's just a different guy. He's just not the same. You know, the difference it made in Peter is, is just stunning. You know, at his denial, you know, like James said last week, you know, we can read it and think, oh, Peter, come on, I'd have done better than that. But, you know, why don't we understand, you know, the, absolutely, the potential outcome of that would have been, you know, being arrested, best case, beaten, worst case, like it was profoundly challenging and um, it would have been absolutely no little thing for him to have said yes at that point um, but you know you look at his boldness on the day of Pentecost and if you look a couple of chapters later in, in um, Acts 4 you know, the disciples have just been going out you know preaching the gospel healing the sick and and they get dragged before the Sanhedrin so that's the sort of the big wigs in the in the synagogue if you like um, and it's really interesting if you, I'm going to read, let me read you a couple of verses, Acts 4, verses 8 and 9. So they've been dragged before them to basically say, you know, what are you doing? Pack it in. And verse 8 says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, like that's not just as an aside, like that's the, the whole context of this. None of this happens other than the fact that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. Remember, like this, this is stunning. This is Peter who denied a few weeks earlier. He's saying to the ruling council, know this, 
It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. It's stunning. Listen, this Sanhedrin was the exact same people. It's Caiaphas, the high priest. He's named earlier on in Acts 4. It's exactly the same people who Peter saw Jesus dragged before and then ultimately taken out and crucified. It's the exact same people. And it's the exact same Peter, except it isn't at all the same Peter. For him to be able to look them in the face and say, you need to know this, it's the name, it's Jesus who healed that man. That's amazing. What a transformed life. And like... This was a matter of weeks. This wasn't, you know, Peter in process for 35 years. In a matter of weeks, this moment with the Holy Spirit coming in, transforming him in a moment. And listen, you know, we, you know, we're all about there is, of course, this process. And sometimes you have to just press in and believe. And hey, I know that's hard when you're believing for breakthrough and you're like, come on, Jesus. I know sometimes there's those things. But listen, we miss it if we think God only heals in process. God transforms in a moment. And he transforms in a lifetime. And listen, trust him. Trust in yourself in his hands and trust his timing. But that is stunning. Peter is so transformed. But the game changer was Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood and said to them, it's just amazing. Everything changed since Pentecost, since that infilling of the Holy Spirit. Everything was different. But, you know, there is process, and we, we need to believe for the both. Um, you know, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 says this, um, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So from one degree of glory to the next, being transformed as an ongoing process, it's the Holy Spirit in us that's doing that. So Holy Spirit comes to transform us. Holy Spirit comes to mark us as his and comes to transform us so that we look more and more and more like Jesus. And the third thing is this, is it's in, about power. And the Holy Spirit comes to empower us. The promise of the Holy Spirit actually was about power. If you think back uh, two, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when we looked at um, Peter's confession of Jesus and Jesus talking to him as Peter, you're the rock, and on this I'm going to build my church. And he talks about giving keys of the kingdom. Yeah? And keys are about authority. So the authority was given at that point, but the power to use that authority, I guess, came with the Holy Spirit. And that's what the promise was. In Acts 1, Verse 8, this is one of the last things that Jesus says um, to the disciples before he goes back to heaven to be with the Father. And so he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And like it, it's a promise that the Holy Spirit's coming, but it's the promise that there's power. So the, you know, the commission and the calling is so high for the first disciples and for us. Like to be followers of Jesus, which is what we started out looking at in this series, is, is such a high calling. But the promise is there's power. You're given keys and authority. You're commissioned with calling, but you're empowered to live in that. Um, and I love this verse. You know, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. There's this progressive, it's growing, and it's going to go out from central. But, but I almost wonder if that whole kind of episode in Acts 2 where all these different people from all over the place heard them speaking in their own language was almost that sort of 
a little glimpse for the disciples of, look, even now you're being my witnesses. You're in one place, but you're witnessing to, you know, all over the place. Um, but that, and it's, that's the changer. You know, there's no way Peter, in and of himself, in his flesh, in his, you know, humanity, could have stood and said the things that he did, or, or then did the things that we see him doing in the early church through the rest of Acts. Um, and I would, I would really encourage you to kind of take some time, um, you know, maybe read through Mark, you know, it's the shortest of the Gospels, and, and read through Peter and like look at Peter in the Gospels, you know, all enthusiasm, sometimes a bit clunky, but all heart, all passion, and, and read through the first sort of one to eight in Acts is, is lots about Peter. Um, he's just such a different man. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that. But he was empowered to lead this early church in a phenomenal way. And kind of all of his kind of slightly clunky, impulsive rashness seems to have just gone. And he has this measured wisdom and clarity as a leader. Um, You know, what was impossible days earlier was made possible when the Holy Spirit came. That's the deal when actually... We are believing for the impossible. Absolutely should be on us. We should be marked with believing for the impossible. But we're not just to believe it. We're empowered to pursue it and empowered to see it. Um, and that was what we see in Peter. You know, he was given the power not to just declare the gospel, although he did, and 3,000 people were saved, but power to demonstrate it as well. You know, the miraculous was absolutely, Peter, it was his norm for Peter in the early church and the early disciples. You know, signs and wonders, healing, raising the dead, it was just normal because of the power of Holy Spirit in them and anointing them. Um, and we, nothing's changed. Like, that's my whole point this morning. Listen, nothing's changed. It's the same Holy Spirit. And, you know, and I think sometimes we can kind of think, well, you know, Peter had a sort of the supreme turbo version of Holy Spirit. And, you know, and you know, Sarah for years has been saying in our kids' work, there's no junior Holy Spirit, kids. You get the same one that all the rest of us do. Um, I think they often get a lot more than we do. Um, but listen, Romans 8 verse 11 says this, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from dead lives in you. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. It's the same Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same Holy Spirit who transformed Peter is and will and going to continue to transform you. You know, the same Holy Spirit in Billy Graham, in Heidi Baker, in Bill Johnson, whoever your, you know, hero in the faith is, whoever you see in your church community, like, I just want more of what they have. It's the same Holy Spirit in you as it is in them. Yes, be hungry for more, but it's the same Holy Spirit. You know, so life and fruit and boldness, the miraculous, it should be our norm. In Mark, the Gospel of Mark, his, um, the way... His account of the Great Commission, where you know Jesus says to the disciples, "Go and you know preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out lepers." You know, that commissioning to go, it says this amazing thing. And Jesus says, "And signs and wonders will follow those who believe, or signs and wonders will accompany those who believe." You so really in my head, that's quite simple. It's like, well, I believe, so signs and wonders should follow me, and. It's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in me. So the impossible is, is, is possible. It's the same Holy Spirit. Um, and I want you know, Phil 
two weekends ago was out at this um, big day of kind of prayer and, and worship in Los Angeles. You know, it was hundred and something years since the Azusa revival, so a time when the Holy Spirit just moved in power and kind of was, you know, just a key moment in history and kind of releasing the Holy Spirit into the church. And, and just people from all over the place were gathering just to pray and stand before God and believe for another move of God, you know, more of the Holy Spirit. And then, and he was sort of reading some bits about the Azusa Street revival before he went and was, he was just so struck by the fact that one of the major things that accompanied that time of people encountering God in radical ways, you know, like that time in the upper room for the disciples, but the supernatural was totally normal. It was absolutely normal. Um, and so he's come back, I'm warning you, he's come back really, really challenged and really wanted to go after the impossible. It's what we kind of said at the beginning of this year, but actually that kind of, that challenge, but how much of what I do, and I'm asking myself this, but how much of what you do and what we do, how much is really dependent on the Holy Spirit? You know, is the presence of the Holy Spirit the crucial matter for my life from beginning to end? Or have I got into kind of plodding along and, and getting on with it? Um, because really nothing has changed since Pentecost, except that we have the full New Testament now. We have, you know, centuries of testimony from the saints and strong men and women of God who've come. Like, we're so rich. Guys, we should be streets ahead of where the early church were. But in so many ways we're not because I think we've missed and forgotten the crucial matter of the Holy Spirit in us, marking us, transforming us, empowering us. Nothing has changed. I'm going to read you one last verse and then I want us to pray. It seems like the sensible thing to do. Um, in Acts 17, Paul and Silas are on one of their ministry trips and then they're preaching and ministering and upsetting the Jewish leaders as they tended to do. And uh, so the Jewish leaders went out looking for them, didn't find them. But it says this in Acts 6, I love this phrase. Um, So when they couldn't find them, couldn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers, so some of the other Christians, before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have now come here also. Honestly, like I don't want to be a rebel, like that's so not in me to do. I'm far too much of a conformist. I so want to turn the world upside down. I do. I so do. And, and I so can't. Except for the Holy Spirit living in me. And it's so easy, guys. We get so distracted by other things and we get so busy trying to do the right stuff and we need to just stop sometimes and step aside and say, Holy Spirit, unless you're here, unless you're filling me, then really this is just a waste of time. You know, the Holy Spirit was enough to turn that early world upside down, and he's still enough to turn Manchester upside down in all the best ways. You know, the early church was facing huge opposition, you know, genuine life-threatening challenge, um, massive change. You know, read, you know, this shift from, you know, the Jewish food laws and all, you know, just huge, huge change. And they were, for the most part, uneducated fishermen. You know, like... You know, and even Paul, you know, previously the persecutor, the murderer of Christians. But the Holy Spirit was enough, more than enough for them to turn that whole world upside down. And I just feel like, yeah, just that thing, listen, nothing's changed. God's heart, God's promise is always to pour out his spirit where we're thirsty. Um, and so all we need to, you know, sometimes actually it's not a bad place to get to the end of yourself and recognize 
have really got nothing to give, nothing to bring, and but to be thirsty and hungry um, because God promises to meet us there. And I want for us to be like the early church, that actually for us, the presence of the Spirit as an experienced and living reality would be the crucial matter. It would be the beginning and the end. He would be over and in and on everything that we do and set our hand to. Um, and so I want us to pray for one another. And so if you are hungry for more of the Holy Spirit, whether that's to be marked, you know, to, I suppose to affirm again that you're marked as his, to, to transform you increasingly into Jesus, but to empower you into the things that he wants you to do, then I just want to invite you to stand um, and I want us to pray for one another. So that's quite a lot of you. So maybe you are all now the ministry team too. Why don't you put a hand to someone on your left and on your right? And um, I don't really know what to do other than to say, come Holy Spirit. Um, but I want to read you one promise from Isaiah, and then I want us to just, yeah, just pray. This is God who never changes, faithful God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is what he's saying to us, guys. For I will pour out water to quench your thirst. And to irrigate your parched fields, I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your children. They will thrive like watered grass, like willows on a riverbank. They will proudly proclaim, I belong to the Lord. So Holy Spirit, we say we're thirsty. We say we're parched land. And we recognize that we need you. And we say that we want you. So Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us? Holy Spirit, would you come? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and mark each one of us again. That we know that we belong to you. Holy Spirit, come and transform us again. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and you would empower us again with boldness, with supernatural anointing with the power that raised Jesus from the dead as we walk through life. Holy Spirit, come and empower your people again. In Jesus' name we pray. I just want you to kind of pray for one another. Maybe you might turn in groups or just as you feel that. I want you just to pray for, pray for yourselves, pray for each other, for, for hunger, for thirst. And just, we've got time. I just want you to pray for more of the Holy Spirit, just as you feel led. I just want to release you to do that. Just just be bold. Just pray in faith. Just declare more of the Holy Spirit.